cold open. What right, do you think? I'm gonna of... get it. I just started recording. All right. You thought, you thought he came out for the actual podcast? He came out for the cold open. <laughs> it's so twenty four four twenty sixty nine. Hilarious. <laughs> the best part is we still haven't told him that that's what it is. I know. So, it's hysterical. Yeah. So he joined you in uh, social now. So once he once I have to finally tell him that it's gonna be it's gonna be funny. It's gonna be awkward. He'll figure it out. When we tell him, what do you think his response will be? Oh, sweet. Why? <laughs> Why are you the way that you are? Fantastic. <laughs> I think I'll be honored. Uh, I'm looking at. Be... Holy shit, that's so funny, uh, man! I'm just looking at these responses for the first time. Yeah, these it's, it's gonna be fun to go through them. I'm excited. Uh, oh man, there's some funny ones. Like I said, there's so, some, some recency, recency bias. Yeah, I was just about <laughs> to say, holy shit! <laughs> just a tad. Just a tad. Oh, man, that's great. That is hilarious. All right. What are we doing first? Record a podcast? Kyle, hold on. I'll, I'll cut this part out from the cold open. Your mic's sounding all uh, all not snowball again. Oh, please, God, no. Yeah, that that sounds like a uh, computer mic if I've ever heard one. Yep. Hold on. Hence the echo chamber. And... Uh-huh. Is that better? That is significantly so better. better. But so move away. Better. You don't have to swallow it. This, this isn't how Matt does it. I sit nope, like uh, maybe a foot from the mic. I don't know. I don't know exactly how far. I like to sit nice and close, though. My voice is loud enough, but I, I like to have it really encapsulate. You know, you got to get the feeling. You got to hear my voice, like I'm talking right through your ears. It's, it's intimidating. I'm, it's it's a little bit nerve wracking to be honest. <laughs> I'm with right you. on it, but I'm not using those snowballs like you amateurs. Yeah. See, you got the whole uh, the whole setup too, Corbo. You really yeah, put us to shame. Look that at one. this. I got this fucking Sure SM7B over here. Oh man, I got to move my computer, my uh, phone away from the computer though, because otherwise I'm gonna get crazy feedback. It's wildly and, impressive, buddy. Yeah, I'm a per- I'm a professional. <laughs> so Corbo, how have the vacations been? Because I know you've been out and about. Uh, I'm glad they're over. Is, was the wedding I, last weekend? I, yeah, the wedding weekend? was last weekend. How was that? That shit was fucking... Dude, that was crazy. I uh, I did a lot of karaoke at the uh, at the post-reception bar. Oh, my God. Um, I did... I had a three-song set where I knocked out... I started with Boys of Summer, but I didn't do the uh, the fucking... Whatever the Eagles guy cover is. Yeah. I did the, the Atari version. The Ataris, yeah. Uh, yeah. What's his, what, why can't I think of his name? Don something. It's Don... Don Headley. Don, Don Henley. Uh, yeah, Don Henley. Like yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't like. As the dude once said, "Man, I fucking hate the Eagles." <laughs> um, that's a big Lebowski reference. And then I did, uh, I did "Umbrella" by Rihanna. Oh my god, the best uh, pop with, song of the 21st century. Yeah, I did it. My friend who I brought along is my date. We went up there. We just ruined that shit just forever. Nice. Uh, and then the my. Um, my encore for the night, right as the bar was starting to close down, people were starting to make out with each other and shit. Uh, I did. What did I do? What's the, oh, Drops of Jupiter, of course. Oh, great ending song. Yeah. By your so. third song, where they like get this guy off the stage, he sang enough. Oh yeah, but I just like I I think on the last I requested my friend's name for the last song, and I just went up instead. <laughs> you son of a bitch. They called. They called for <laughs> Kevin, and I walked up. <laughs> they said we've seen this guy before. Oh. The only dude there in like a like a fucking pink tie and with shoulder length hair. They definitely knew who I was. <laughs> so Corbo, you, you still got the long hair and the beard too. I bet they were like, "Oh my god, it's not like you can sneak up there. You're not some like just no, like I, you know unassuming guy." They're like, "Okay, we've seen this guy before. We know exactly who he is." 
Well, I toned the beard down. Okay. Uh, but I, I did have like a half beard. Like I did like a like a three on my beard, and then up until that point, I had like a twelve for my mustache. Nice. So I was I was heavy stash and like little scruff beard, but for the wedding, I just went straight straight around three. So. Well, I'm upset. There's not video of this. Of uh, the songs or of me shaving? Of uh, uh, both, but mostly the songs. I- there are videos of the songs. I've just, for some reason, whenever they get sent to me, they're like super compressed. So I got to ask my friends to email them to me. Uh, and then I'll get to you guys the high quality. I stuff. eagerly wait. Kyle, do you have a qualm with a. What'd you say? I'll put it on the timeline for everyone. To oh, see. That, yeah. I was going to say, we got to be able to retweet and fave this. Kyle, yeah. what do you think about Umbrella, best pop song of the 21st century? Um, do you, you already know I'm part. No, you already know I'm part of the Navy. Oh, good. Okay. Just making sure. <laughs> All right, you guys want to talk next? Yep. Yeah. All right, let's do it. Hello, folks, and welcome to the TKW Podcast. I'm Matt Spendley, and I'm joined tonight by Kyle Maggio. What's going on, guys? And our guy, Anthony Corbo. I'm my guy, too. I'm all your guy, too. What's up? You're all ours. What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm good. I'm uh, hanging out, chilling by the window. Is it, you can, can you hear cicadas in the background? Because I have my window open. It's a breezy night. You're good, bro. You're good. All right. So, Corbin, you haven't been on a while. Give us, like, your Knicks takes. Give us your hottest Knicks takes or what you've been seeing the, the past, you know, a few weeks since you've been on. Fire them off right well, now. One minute. Go. It's, real, it's really good. I was on uh, vacation with my cousin the a uh, couple of weeks ago. It's the biggest Knicks fan that I know other than myself and all of you folks. But we're fanatics, so that doesn't count. But uh, so we were watching Summer League together, and Lord Almighty, like, yeah, we we're impressed by Kevin Knox, but Mitchell Robinson looks like a lottery talent. Like, I feel like we walked away with two picks in this draft. I'm really stoked about that. Um, I am a big fan of the Noah Vonley signing. Uh, we can get more into that in a little bit if you like to, but he's a guy I've always liked from afar. And, yeah, other than that, I'm happy to finally see Fizz with KP. And, uh, and you know, um, once again, I say, like, I was about to say that I'm excited for the season for the first time in a while, but I do this every year. We do this every year. <laughs> That's why we're right. really excited going in. And then it actually looks pretty damn good until like December. Uh, and then, you know, it all falls apart through there. But I feel like this year is going to be different because the circumstances don't quite line up with the other years. I don't know. We'll see. Fucking if it's a fire, it's a fire. The word from Chicago straight out the <laughs> horse's mouth of Anthony Corbo. That's me. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, we we certainly agree with you on on all counts there. Um, I think with you mentioned Mitchell Robinson and Kevin Knox, obviously been exciting. Let's talk Vonley though. Uh, Kyle Noah Vonley, the Knicks signed him to a partially guaranteed deal yesterday. Brought him on another guy on the roster. Uh, what was your initial thoughts? I mean, we were complaining that with the Noah situation, kind of being up in the air and KP going down and. Uh, oh, sorry, O'Quinn leaving, and we just felt like there was going to be a lot of, you know, answers at the front court this season. So, basically, signing a guy who, at worst, can play ten to fifteen minutes there, I, I think it's a good move. It's a good insurance 
kind of thing, and it kind of buys them time to figure out what they want to do with Noah. And I mean, I, I it's it's sort of the theme. I feel like I don't want to keep saying the same things about all these pickups, but everything's been low risk, high reward. It's a former lottery pick, isn't he? Twenty two years old. Twenty two. He'll be twenty three when the season starts. So. I mean, we pick up yet no, another guy. I didn't how old he was. Yeah, I mean, it seems like he's been in the league longer, but we picked up another guy who was a former lottery pick. Means there's some kind of talent there, and let's just see what we can get the you know get out of him this season. I, I, I mean, I'm with it. We've been with all these kinds of picks. They've been short, cheap, low risk deals. So uh, this is yet another one that I'm in on. I like it. He was in Chicago recently, right? Yes, and at and the end do, of the year. Yep. Would you like okay. to know um, what his averages were? Go ahead, were Kyle. They, were they, wait, were they above five and five? Yes, they were. Okay. They were uh, six point nine points and six point nine rebounds per game. How nice. many minutes? It, it was more than six point nine. How many minutes? I, I didn't and that, look. And that's nice. <laughs> Not I, as nice as it could be, but it's nice. With, with Von Lake, I'm, I'm, I'm slow because I'm genuinely interested in this, but. <laughs> The one thing that caught my eye when I was looking up his stats yesterday is in Chicago, because coming out of Indiana, he was a guy, a big man that people thought could end up being a three-point shooter, because he took about one three a game at Indiana, and he shot about 50% on those for the year, and up until his time in Chicago, he hadn't shot many threes, but with Chicago, he took about three a game, and granted, he only played about 20 games in Chicago, and he only shot 30% on those, but I think if that's a skill he could unlock, that could open up a lot for him. It could potentially give his game a lot more to offer to a young team like the Knicks that's looking for guys to catch on in any way possible. And to your point, isn't that what we mentioned with Fizdale on some of the previous podcasts, uh-huh. was that, aha, and it ties in, and that he you know worked with Marcus Gasol to get him and up to speed in the modern NBA. He worked with Chris Bosh. Chris Bosh could always shoot a little bit, but they helped him stretch his game out a little bit more, be able right. to shoot threes, long, longer twos anyway to fit in with LeBron and Dwayne Wade. So I don't think Noah Von Ley is as talented as those two gentlemen there, but it's not really a stretch if he's shown the ability to do it, has the ability to do it now, you know, that Fizdale could work with them and get him there, at least to be a respectable stretch big. I don't think it's really a reach. I'm actually kind of frustrated. Like, I'm just not used to it that the Knicks are are making moves with their players and linking them up to the coaching staff with decisions that actually make sense here. Yeah. Like, instead of trying to make Michael Beasley stretch out to the three-point line for, like, the eighth time in his career. Well, it's because they've never had a coach they also felt good about that they could, you know, feel like they could bring a young guy in and, and formulate his game around the coach's style, which who knows with Fisdale, but they clearly have a high, high, high level of confidence in him. Yeah, and I mean, a and- lot of... A lot of these moves do kind of just fit the same theme. Like these are all, you know, guys that I think to some degree are good in the open floor. Like Von Ley's a guy who theoretically should be able to space things out a little bit, you know, pull you away from the rip. Again, he might not even make the team. It's a partial guarantee. This could just be a training camp deal to see if he hangs on. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah, like but- that, it's like that kind of deal. Hazonia. They've been, you know, even when Troy Williams was here, Troy Williams. It seems like they just want guys who can run, you know, just space so- things out and run. You know that, like, the reason that I really like this signing is because it almost guarantees that at least one of Vonley or uh, Robinson are going to see minutes from the get, and that what kind of that's what kind of gets me excited because, like, it's another reason why I'm really happy that Kyle O'Quinn didn't choose to resign here. As much as I love Kyle O'Quinn and I thought he was great for the team culture and everything, uh, and productive as a player in the last few years, but 
you know, now you have you still have kind of a, a you know a gluttonous center rotation with Joakim Noah still being in the mix and everything like that. But it's at least kind of guaranteeing that like they're at least going to be able to try both Robinson and Bonley and Spurts, and then when one of them ends up sticking, you know, you you know, like you've you've got pretty much a makeup for one of them to hit. Somebody's got to hit there. They'll have chances to play. You're absolutely right if those guys are on the roster because when you're looking at the big mans, it's Cantor. It's Cornette, and then you have the Robinsons and the Vonleys, and then it's whatever they decide to do with a Lance Thomas, and if Joe Kim Noah's around, there's going to be minutes there to go around. I will say, though, I watched some tape on Vonley, and I forgot that his three-point stroke, really ugly. Like It's it's not pretty to look at, which makes me nervous. I mean, but even if he doesn't, like, I, I don't feel like, even if, you know, I feel like Cornette should be playing more at the four this year. Yeah, if only because I've been saying it from, you know, even last year, I was saying, like, he's got to be the KP fill-in this year until he comes back. Like, I know that Ty shares a similar opinion with me on this, but, like, if he can just be a, like, KP mannequin, that's all I really want to get out of Cornette. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd, I would like to see him a little bit more playing the four, especially when we do have a couple of, of centers on the roster yeah. now. Kyle's talked about that, too, him playing at the yeah. four, something that he's expanded on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know. For a fight? Yeah, yeah that, that's all <laughs> I was thinking about was my, my Twitter, the the beefs that I was having on Twitter yeah, that day yeah. with Giberman. But oh, that's um, right. I only caught the beginning of those it's, fights. It's not at all. I mean, it's not at all a stretch to say he would play the four. I, I just his game, his game. Like it's the same thing we argue about with KP, and then KP plays at the four. It, it's he can absolutely play if need be, and I absolutely think. The way Fizdale's done positionless talk this offseason anyway, I think that's going to be something we see implemented. We'll see what they do with the big men. They're going to have a lot of young guys to give some minutes to, so we'll see. A couple other housekeeping things. Uh, The Knicks signed Kadeem Allen today, who was one of the Celtics two-way players last year. He went to college at Arizona, played with our current two-way player, Alonzo Trier. So that's just another depth guy. He's another guy that Kyle mentioned before. I'd say there's certainly less a chance that he makes the team than Vonley makes the team, but certainly. you never know. And Troy Williams signed with the Pelicans today. Uh, not sure the parameters of the deal, but that came out. I think Knicks fans really need to chill with the Troy Williams stuff. I don't know if either of you guys are like huge Troy Williams fans, and I know it's something we mentioned on this podcast before, but I see a lot of people on Twitter that are, you know, singing his praises, and I, I get why we liked him as a player, but let's be honest, I said this, he's not a three-point shooter, he hasn't proven that he has any skill above average in the NBA besides playing in transition, which almost all the time he does at a speed that is way beyond his actual skill level, so what do we like about this guy? I, I just I just don't get it. I hope he does well, best of luck, but not a guy I'm going to miss from this roster. I, I think the problem is that it was who stayed over him that's been the issue. You know, because everybody refers immediately to it should have been it should have been Baker. It should have been Baker. It should have been Baker, which I don't disagree with. Yeah, but these are people who don't look at actual contracts. Well, yeah, I mean, Troy Williams was non guaranteed. Now, the the fact of the matter is that's not really a problem for the Knicks if they really want to cut Ron Baker, wave Ron Baker. You know, that's more of a James Dolan's got to deal with it kind of problem. So I understand that gripe of it. But it's always easier to just cut the non guaranteed contract, especially if he wasn't going to have. A significant role but it's always well, easy to just look at baker and make him the punching bag of it you know i think he was kind of uh so you know they signed to zonia and that kind of did away with you know troy williams kind of role there especially with lance thomas being on the roster but
But, you know, my thinking at first and initially was that, like, I don't I didn't understand why they cut him then because they could have just taken him into training camp like they're signing all these other guys now and, you know, cut him, you know, when it, when September comes around or, you know, early October. But I think they cut him, you know, a week ago or two weeks ago, whenever it was, because he just got signed tonight by the Pelicans. Like, I think it was a make good move for him to be able to find a new team, you know, in the in the interim before training camp begins. That's so, awesome. yeah, I, I, I it, there's this part of me because I don't know. He did play well for them last year in the appearances he had. He did play well and had a ton of energy in summer league. Um, you know, that's a guy to me. I mean, especially with you know, the youth movement going on team and the new uh, coaching staff and everything. You know, that's a guy you would want to keep with you in training camp. But if the writing sits on the wall that it's going to take a lot for him to make the team, and he's already done something for you. I, I think the make good move is OK. If I got a wing, I just want him to be able to shoot threes, and I don't think that's asking too much. He's Troy Williams was basically a non-factor from three. He's never been an above-average or even average three-point shooter in his career. If he was a three-point shooter, that's why I think that you know you never know with a guy like Dotson what could happen with him. At least we know he can shoot threes. If you're giving me a wing guy that can kind of defend, he can kind of play in transition. He's certainly not a playmaker at all from that position, and he isn't a threat from deep. What's he doing for my team? Nothing. No, but I, I do like him in um, New Orleans. I think sure. he's going to fit really lineups, well. Sure. Can but I in New York ask this real quick? Like, yes. Can we just get into this briefly? But why, legitimately, why is everybody so down on Ron Baker? Because he stinks. Like, he, he doesn't. Stinks. Kyle, he go doesn't into this. You're really going into the Ron stink. Baker thing. He's simply not good. He he does nothing. He plays good defense sometimes, and he hustles. That's what it comes down to. Like he's not. Think, well, this he, is another like guy that not, hasn't been a three-point shooter. His stats from three are terrible. Yes, it, that, I'm not doubting that at all. So what's he but doing for is, me? I think his defense gets wildly underrated in a lot of situations. No, I think it gets wildly overrated. I think complete, and complete opposite. All right, I, I mean that's fair. I I'm going to lay on the other because, side of it because I, every, I don't think he's I don't think he's like top half of the league or anything or even like you know I think he's probably in the bottom third of the league. But I think there's significantly worse play. I think that you know. The Knicks have held on to him, and I think they're the replacements that would come along for him at you know most points in the summertime. I think would be worse than him, basically. I don't know. They also held on to Isaiah Hicks for seemingly no reason, so that's not. This is true. I, we deal. can all get on the same page with that. That's a two-way yeah. deal. So that's basically nothing. It's the money doesn't matter for that one. I think that the Ron Baker, you know, he's still under contract. I know we can say that Dolan will just eat the money, but it's still three to four million dollars. You're just flushing down the drain when you could just get rid of a guy in Troy Williams that didn't have any money guaranteed to him and I'd rather keep Baker than Troy Williams anyways like in a vacuum I just it, it under I shouldn't say in a vacuum because under the financial circumstances it makes sense why they did that but certainly Baker or Williams are not difference makers in any way this I have a contractual question I don't know if either of you guys would know but I know Let's Ron see. Baker didn't have a real no trade clause in his contract. He had one of those weird loopholes with the right. you know the whole situation. Yeah, it's now not like that they handed him a no trade clause. It's the the way right. that the contract is signed. It's that you can't trade him because right. of the but, way the contract and the way the CBA works. I think it was wasn't it something with the the guarantee on it or something like that. Like, could he be traded this year potentially? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they can like if they wanted to trade him at the trade deadline, but don't quote me on that cuz I don't I certainly don't know the the parameters of the CBA and all that, that goes into it. I think that's the case and that's that's kind of why I think that having his 5 million still sitting on the books like makes it a worth it makes him worthwhile to, to keep around because I think he could be, you know, not a 
piece in a, a trade that gets anyone you know excited but yeah you know, as far as salary filler goes that could help you get to a certain way i don't know you know what kind of trade would come yeah. along but. and i have no idea on that one so please don't quote me look that up for yourselves because i don't i didn't look into that so i am certainly not 100 percent sure on that one but it's at the fringes of the roster. We talked about this in you yeah. know, a couple episodes before. These are the guys that we can debate about forever, well, is, but they're just not going to play we, uh, It's like a tradition. Remember when everyone was outraged over Maurice Endor? Yes. Endor? Endor, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I, I was pissed about that. I was like, this is, he was all this is, I was like, this is, of course, the fringe guy. And then I remember uh, I mean, El Hassan said that, you know, he was going to be a guy who, you know, people were going to, you know, really start talking about as a as a solid bench piece he's just like oh, i would have put any amount of money on me not knowing who he was <laughs> <laughs> no but he's just like that's not a that's not a 15th man he's like you guys are gonna see that's like a, a, a real 7th man on a good team and i was like oh okay now i'm really all the way in and then they you know didn't sign him and I, everyone was really mad but then he came back what two years later yeah they gave him a try twice and he didn't work out yeah because the Mavs signed him after that summer league, and then the Knicks brought him back, and he was not impressive, to put it Speaking kindly. of great, uh, great two-time Knicks, I just had uh, some flashbacks of Ronaldo Balkman in there. Oh, my God. God. I have a story. When the Knicks drafted Ronaldo Balkman, it was 2006, I believe, and they had their first-round pick, and I can remember vividly. Uh, my house lost power that night, and... I was really excited. I'm going to look this guy's name up just to make sure I don't say something stupid. But I was really excited for the draft because it was one of my younger years getting into the Knicks. And it was, you know, just like an exciting time. I think to it was be... 08. Was it 08? I think it might have been. He might have been the 08 draft. That was, could be wrong. About that. He might have been 06, actually. I'm going to look it up. I might be mixing up my drafts, but uh, let's see. It's bad radio. I can't believe he came back. It was one of the funniest things. It was for the jokes. It was good enough when he came back to the Knicks that year. Yeah, it was 06 and he was drafted 20th overall. And you just remember people. I was listening on the radio and you could just remember people saying, we didn't think this guy was even going to be a second round pick. And then they took him in, in the first round. <laughs> it was hysterical. Well, I got my all that karma came back to us with Mitchell Robinson. So. Yeah, no, it's true. I got my drafts mixed up because I was thinking the year before the 2005 draft, I think is when the Knicks took David Lee, which obviously worked out really well. But I really like yep. this guy, Salim Stoudemire. That played at yeah. Arizona, Oh, shit. He just played in. I just saw him at the big three game. Oh, he played in the big three? Yeah. Dude, I love that guy. It's awesome. Yeah, He's you had Salim Stoudemire and Amari Stoudemire playing in that game. Bro, I was watching Amari play the other day. He was kind of cooking up. Like, he's still really? athletic as hell. He yeah. couldn't buy a fucking basket when I saw him. Like, he was... Who was stopping him? Uh, it was Deshaun Stevenson. Oh, my God. And um, I'm going to remember the name. It was another wing who was just, like, locking him down the entire time. Um, but... Yeah, no, he was he was trying. He was posting up. He was, you know, getting his, you know, very fast back to the basket. He still kind of has that. But, uh, yeah, no, every shot he was putting up was rimming out very hard. United Center has tight rims. I don't know what to tell you. Oh, and then in his postgame conference, which is one of the coolest things I've seen because he had uh, it was Amari Stoudemire, Nate Robinson and Dr. J sitting on the same podium together. But uh, but Amaria said he would he guarantees he'll be back in the NBA next year. Yeah, give me a so, break. <laughs> take you know that. Guarantees going to be back in the NBA next year. Ronaldo Balkman. You know what else is going to happen? <laughs> uh, anything else on the Knicks before we move on to our uniform rankings? Anything else, Kyle? No, I think that's about it. All right, so let's get into it. 
we're going to go down. So I mentioned basically what we got on tap for you guys over the next several weeks. Not every uniform number, obviously, is used, so it's not going to take us as long as it, it would seem. But throughout the summer, we're going to go through every uniform number worn by a Nick in history and kind of give you guys options. So on the Google Forms that you guys so kindly filled out, thank you to all that did. Anyone who didn't, next time we're going to have these coming back, so do it next week, please. We'll be tweeting it from the podcast account. If you haven't followed us on at TKW Podcast on Twitter, please do so. We'll be tweeting these out. Our idea is just to anoint the best Nick for every uniform number. So this week we got zero through nine since we're starting out. And is Cantor officially double zero? He's yeah, the only double zero to ever wear for the Knicks, so he's good to go. Didn't even need a yeah. vote. Hey, by the way, yes. uh, before we get too off track, I wanted to say the other guy who was locking up Amare was Josh Childress. So, hmm. Josh Childress Dude, you're, telling, you're talking to me two guards year. right now, like guards slash small forwards <laughs> that are locking up Amari Stoudemire. This is sad. They're all going to be in the league next year. Deshaun, oh, too. Anyway. <laughs> I want some odds on that. I want some odds on Amari Stoudemire being in the NBA next year, like 25 to 1. Well, you're wrong often, so. You think? You think I'm going to be wrong on this one, Kyle? Do you disagree with me? You think Amari's going to be in the NBA next year? Uh, I can neither confirm nor deny. I rest my case. You can find a sports book that says that. <laughs> I, I was just in Atlantic that City. I should have. <laughs> they had that. That would be wild if they had that one. I'll have them make it for me. I'll just be like, listen, you don't understand. I had this podcast, and we, we had this like this running uh, kind of joke about Amari. Like, you got to hook me up, man. You got to do it. I really wish that you were interested in this when I was like at the actual game. I would have asked him what he thinks his odds are on him being in the NBA next year. <laughs> Two to ten. I would, no, he would have been like, security, throw this motherfucker out. <laughs> All right, so let's go right down. I don't really want to debate the ones that are pretty obvious, so I'm going to go zero to nine in order. If they're easy, we'll just talk about them a little bit. And then uh, if they were more contentious, we'll go through every option and talk about who we decided to choose so, double zero, as I said, Ennis Cantor, current New York Nick, current corniest motherfucker in New York City. Actually, no, Ron Baker's challenging him for that one, so. Number zero, okay, this one, it was really sad, I gotta say. So, this one's, this one is crazy. This might be the, I wish we went nine through zero, because this might be the craziest one on the entire list. So, to get a peek behind the curtain when I was doing this, I basically went through on Basketball Reference and I just looked up. I gave five options for every uniform number. So I looked up everyone and then I said, okay, who do I think are the best five options that people would want to choose from? Zero didn't have many options. So the five options for zero are Larry Hughes, Chris Smith, Earl Clark, Shane Larkin, and Troy Williams. So three of those five played less than one full season in New York. And the other two, (laughs) I think, played one or two full seasons in New York. So... Who did you guys have for this one? This was easy. The goat, this, man. This this is Larry Hughes. Is Larry this Hughes is Chris in the big Smith three? without a doubt? Oh, you watch your tongue. No, Larry, Larry Hughes isn't in the big three. It seems like he Although, would be. There's like a seventy-five percent, no greater than. There's like an eighty-five percent chance any one of these players on this list could end up in the big three <laughs> within the next two years Chris, or whenever. Chris Smith falls. isn't good enough for the big three. He's not good enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah, I kind of agree with you, but last year he would have fucking killed it. Anyway, yeah. So I am. So with these rankings, the one thing that it's killing me. Should we? Do we? Do we want to go into like percentages that people voted on this one? Yeah, I could go in. So though, Larry Hughes was the winner, forty-six percent of the vote. 
18 percent voted for both Shane Larkin and Troy Williams, and then you had about nine percent for Chris Smith and Earl Clark. So there was a clear pecking order. Larry Hughes was was the clear number one here. Okay, real quick, the recency bias with Troy Williams right here is insane to me. <laughs> yeah, how much? Who, who are you voting dude, over? Like, it doesn't matter. Troy Williams did. No, I mean my criteria for this was you had to have played a season. So that immediately was yeah. Shane Larkin, technically Chris Smith, and Larry Hughes. And I was like, well, then you had to actually play. So then that was, you know, Shane Larkin and Larry Hughes. And Shane Larkin just did not do anything of significance in a terrible year. Whereas Larry Hughes at least gave you like almost 12 points in a terrible year. So I'm going to take Larry Hughes. Yeah. I, think I mean, pretty- it is Larry Hughes without any doubt. People forget Shane Larkin has small hands. People are not talking about this. People are not talking about this. Shane Larkin has uh, has tiny hands. All right, let's go into, so number zero, we all agree, Larry Hughes, and the listeners yep. agree as well. Number one, the overwhelming winner this was crazy. our aforementioned buddy, Amari Stoudemire, who I also voted for. Did you guys disagree? I don't disagree, but I think that I, I can't believe he got like an 81% vote. I just want to know the one person that voted for Chris Duhon. One person voted for Chris Duhon out of a hundred, you know, some odd responses. So good for you, buddy. Yeah, I mean, he was he was far and away. I mean, even even though he wasn't his best, pretty much after the twenty eleven season, you know, he was injury marred or uh, just ill fitting with Melo after that. Whereas Melo still talking about Chris Duhon. No, so no, no, I was like, dude, I don't think you play with the, Melo. <laughs> no, Chris Duhon. I, I wouldn't disrespect the god like that. I mean, he's got a, he's, he's got the assist record. Yeah, he's an all-time Knicks record, never be broken. Yeah, That's so crazy. It is. It's, it's wild. That it's, yeah. it's Chris fucking Duhon. But no, I mean, Amari was just—he's far and away the most talented one. He actually was pretty damn good for a few years, and then he just couldn't get healthy. Didn't fit with Melo, but that's better than. Steve fucking Francis and Chris Duhon. I mean, I'm actually Chris... kind of surprised Steve Francis didn't get more votes. I I mean, what did Chris Childs get? Thirteen percent. It was basically Amari and Chris Childs, and then there were some scraps for Mo Cheek, Steve Francis, and Chris Duhon. And I would guarantee yeah. you that twelve point nine nine percent of that thirteen percent was simply because he punched Kobe Bryant in the face. And those yeah. are all deserved votes. Yes. So, uh, quick thing on Amari because I love Amari. I know we were joking before about him, but he's one of my favorite Knicks ever, just because Agreed. it was at a really impressionable time in my Knicks fandom. When he came to the Knicks, I was 15 years old, just really getting into the NBA where I felt like I could know a lot about it. And it meant you a lot for so him to come here. Young. I know, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it meant I a lot. I forget how young you guys are sometimes, but continue. It's it's funny to think about it is because you're like... I'm curious. Speak, maybe you're the only one who saw Mo Cheeks play because I was about to ask. I wonder how many of our <laughs> listeners have actually seen, like, actually sure know what there. Mo Cheeks looked like on the court. But I think it's only Kyle at this point. <laughs> Kyle's fuming right now. I was two of the last game he played. <laughs> Son of a bitch. All right, so... Like I said, as much as I joke about Amari, one of my favorite Knicks of all time in that year, the first year before Melo came, you know, the first half year was just just magical. So let's move on to number two. Another fairly overwhelming win. This one also made sense. So number two, LJ, Grandma Larry Johnson, 82% of the vote. Assuming you guys also had LJ. I had Larry Johnson, yep. I believe I did. Yeah, I think I did. These ones. Uh, are- who the fuck is Rory Sparrow? 
Uh, he played on the Knicks. He actually put up some better numbers than you'd think. I think he was a was an 80s guy. Yeah, he played on the Knicks. Uh, you know, he was like 10 points a game. Someone that okay. older than me will be able to tell you more about him, but he was a point guard. That's kind of like the question that's been uh, rolling around my head that Bailey proposed on Twitter uh, a couple of days ago about who were, who's going to be the player from this generation that will be the most forgotten. That was a great question. On. I got some good engagement. It had me thinking a lot. I, I'm, it's still rolling around my head, but it's, it's, anyway. All I, can, all I can ever think about with that question is you Joe know, Johnson. I was just going to say Joe Johnson, Kyle. That's exactly who I was going to say. I don't yeah. know if any, I didn't see anyone else on Twitter say that. I'm sure they did, but that's the first guy that came to mind. He, he had the quietest, most productive career and you, you're never going to... When you think back at this era, you'll never, ever remember Joe Johnson. Ever. And then you'll see him casually in a highlight, scoring 21 points in a playoff game for the Jazz when he's 43. You know that's kind of, and then you'll be like, you know, wow, Joe Johnson used to get buckets. I remember that. Mm-hmm. And then you'll never remember crazy. again after that. I was playing uh, 2K with my brother over the weekend, and we were doing the all-time teams and everything. And I was playing as the Hawks... Uh, and I didn't even realize that like I was scoring with Joe Johnson until probably the second quarter. And I was like, oh, Just, yeah, that's right. Joe Johnson had all these like phenomenal years with the Atlanta Hawks mm-hmm. that I've completely forgotten about already. I remember being livid when he went to the Nets. I was furious because mm-hmm. I was like, shit, they shouldn't be getting good players. They've always been bad since I've since the Knicks, you know, in the, the late 2000s, early 2010s. All right. So number two. Larry Johnson, yeah. again, not very contentious. Number three, John Starks, 83% of the vote. Another big one I don't one think away. I voted for John Starks. I'm trying I mean, to remember who I Did you I vote for vote Steph? For yeah, Stephon I Marbury? I voted, yeah, I voted for Stefan. All right, give me the takes because I'm here for that. I had six pairs he, he, of summaries, right. I believe. All right, I, I, have two. I had two pairs. They were the best things at, that my young eyes had ever seen in my life. Stephen Barry's forever. Yeah, um, my my take that I'm going to get yelled at tomorrow, and uh, I'm just sort of prepared for it, was that um, despite the era, despite the romanticizing that we do for the 90s and for all the players that played, uh, especially because we celebrate the Starks dunk like it's a national holiday, um, I, I I think quite simply, Stephon Marbury was very easily a better basketball player um, individually. Than John Starks was, just do and just like this is a fact. the career arc of Stephon Marbury, you know, and going to China and you know being the most revered basketball player in Chinese basketball history, like I, I don't. It's just I know it's supposed to be for who's the better player, but man, like the Stephon Marbury storyline, even if it flamed out in New York and everyone hated him by the end, like it's just so fascinating. And let's just make sure that we're asking the question correctly. This is for the best Nick. Stefan Marbury, probably a better right. basketball player, but was he a better Nick? Was he better I mean, on the Knicks John than John Stark probably was. wins that because Marbury really didn't have many great Knicks moments. But I, at the same time, like I feel like I can't fault him like for that because it was you know it was two thousand you know what what year did he come to the team? Was it like oh two? No, a little later. Uh, he played like he was on the oh four playoff team. Yeah, he was five or whatever that was. But oh three oh four, yeah. So, but like. You know, I think that he also, you know, John Starks was great for the Knicks and everything. I think Marbury in his time might have done more for New York. Oh, stop. That's absurdity. I mean, I, like, that's I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't agree with that. Well, I just, recency bias. I just mean, like, the thing, like, 
especially, you know, I know it's all making money and everything, but the, you know, he responded with a lot of, I was a kid at the time and I responded a lot with Stefan Marbury. Uh, yeah. I mean, my, my whole thing was because we know how it ended and we know when it started to unravel. I mean, when he first got here, he was pretty much a 20 and 10 guy right of right about there. And things didn't really transpire for him the way that he or any of us hope. So, I mean, I, I don't really, I'm not going to really sit here and, and go argue tooth and nail that he's a better Nick than Starks was. I kind of wanted to be contrarian because I feel like people sleep on what Marbury actually was. I'm we just so automatically, sick of the John Stark shit, man. I mean, me too. I'll be honest with you. And and I look, I love John Starks. I have his jersey. You know, he's one of my favorite players in Nick's history. He's that for everybody. But at the yeah, same I time, I have a jersey too. Yeah. At the same time, like. I don't know. It, you're right. It's just it's too much. Hey, you, shouts to that one troll that voted for Jose Calderon too. <laughs> one person. Yep, I was impressed. It's got to be the same they people. They weren't serious. They were Duhon, completely trolling us. Keith Van Horn. Someone voted for number two. I, I will say this for Keith Van Horn. He was fucking nasty in 2K. I don't know if you guys remember that. Oh yeah. Because he, he was fucking filthy. He, he, he guys like that in 2K. Well, because it was like having a guy in today's NBA in 2K. He could fucking shoot, and then he was long as hell. And he would just... I don't know why this is before 2K, I think, was super realistic, but you could just fucking throw down with anybody. So Keith Van Horn would throw down just on anybody and anything. You know, we could move on to number four. Yep, so number four. All right, this one is blasphemous, guys. Come on. Do better. No, this is easy. So number four... In an overwhelming majority, 80% of the vote, Nate, Nate Robinson. Robinson. Howard Isley. No, that's huh? the wrong answer. It's Carl Braun, and it's not close. <laughs> Carl Braun, five-time All-Star, played on the Knicks in the 50s. I get it. It's not like a not a trendy era by any means. But like he's objectively one of the most well-known and, and greatest Knicks of all time for people that come from an earlier era. And it's it's not close. Like, to put Nate Robinson here is just, it's hilarious. And Nate was, sure, he was fine, and he had two, you know, two or three highlight-worthy moments as a Nick, and they all came in the dunk contest, and the last one was him throwing the ball in the wrong hoop, which led to him promptly being <laughs> shipped out of New York. So, who do you guys have for this one? I- I Nate Robinson till the day I die, man. Oh, I fucking love that guy. It's Nate Rob. It was Nate Robinson. It, it was Nate Robinson. He won three slam dunk contests. I know so, that doesn't mean anything for performance of the team, but that means something as far as being a Nick is, uh, as far as being a Nick, right? Sure, but that does. That's not like an emblematic of New York. It's just that he won it, and it was a cool moment. But like people that are coming up now in the NBA wouldn't know that. Like it's not something that I don't know. It's. It, yeah, but people coming up now in the NBA aren't going to know who Carl Braun is. That's fair. But if you're talking, I'm talking Knicks here. We need to keep this in the Knicks perspective. Yeah, sure. it, it's, I it's... agree with you. And I mean, as far as the team is concerned, like if you're if you're getting into the NBA and, you know, you're from New York and you're a kid and you want to be a Knicks fan. Right. And you so you so you hop on YouTube. Like, what's the first thing you do? It's going to be you're going to hop on YouTube. You're going to look at some highlights. You're going to see those Nate Robinson dunk contests. You're going to see some gameplay of Nate. You're probably going to see him throwing it in the wrong basket, sure. But you're going to, if you're a kid coming up right now and want to be a Knicks fan, you start seeing that, you're going to be enamored. Are you insinuating that Carl Braun's game was not sexy and you didn't go out of your way to watch it because of his sheer athleticism? He dribbled like a robot. I'm as attracted to Carl Braun (laughs) as anyone, but. (laughs) No, look, look, it's Nate Robinson. It's Nate Robinson, if for no other reason, 
than for the same reasons that you're disservicing him. Okay, sir? He gave us entertainment in a dark, dark time. Do you recall the time when he stole the ball out of Yao Ming's hands? Wasn't it a block? He blocked him, mistaken? yes. And then he hit Yao Ming yeah. in the face, proceeded to poke him in the eye, and Yao Ming yep. couldn't even run down the floor afterwards. A great moment. Yep. Yep. That man is a New Yorker through and through. I don't want to hear through, it. He was incredibly entertaining in a dark, dark time. Then you throw in the three dunk contest. He was the only entertaining thing that we had going for us. And the it was just the weirdest, weirdest Knicks era. So, so NBA yeah. TV was just and on top of that, every dunk contest. And, and on top of that, their stats are comparable. And this is with Nate playing against actual basketball players and not mechanics and part-time plumbers oh so, well, by the way one of those mechanics and plumbers so please it, it, hey <laughs> by the way by the way real quick uh i'm actually kind of disappointed with you matt because i don't see james white anywhere on here yeah that's because james white was dead to all knicks fans the second he talked up his dunking and then went in a dunk contest and laid Bro, a i just watched egg. that dunk contest he i just out. watched it i watched it two days ago and it was fucking hilarious oh he came God. out with so many so women funny. <laughs> So many women. All in the same outfit. And just... Oh, yeah, the it fucking... Was, it was a mess. Stewardess. All right. You guys are wrong. You're millennials. It's, it's embarrassing. Let's move on. Yeah, wait, now you're older than us? Yeah, yeah. That's how it's going here. You're millennials. That's all, that's all I'm going to say. All right, well, let's move on to Jason Kidd, Hope then. you enjoy your avocados. So, number five... So, yes, number five, Jason Kidd won with 62% of the vote. So this one was a little tighter. Just for reference, the other ones we're looking at here are Courtney Lee, Dick Van Ardsdale, Tim Thomas, and Bill Walker. So not the greatest crop. Dick Van Ardsdale is another older guy that had some good years for the Knicks way, way, way back. So who'd you guys have for this one? Hank Walker. Oh, my God. All right, Corbo, listen, it's been fun. You got to quit the podcast. You're not allowed back. <laughs> I mean, like, this isn't a good one, first of all. It's actually probably Courtney Lee. If we're going to be here. It, it is actually probably Courtney Lee. I was hoping Matt put Tim Hardaway Jr. twice. No. Oh, that would I be good. I didn't. I didn't. I think it, no, it's got to be, like, I mean, because what did Jason Kidd, like, I know that he had a heavy hand in that 2013 season. But he flamed out once the playoffs came around, let's not forget. Oh, he was terrible. He was unplayable. Was a, they also benched him late in the year. It was, yeah, and it, it was like, you know, you talk about guys going on the downward slopes in their career. It's like Jason Kidd accidentally wandered onto, like, a triple black diamond ski lift and then got to the top there in that last year with the Knicks and then just went straight downhill. Yeah, it wasn't yeah, like, I mean, I, I, I mean, I get that he's a bigger name, but, you know, as we've been talking about the whole pod, this is supposed to be... Uh, you know, who is the best Nick and Jason Kidd's, you know, two thirds of a year as a good Nick does not compare to what Courtney Lee's done in the last couple of years. He's a team captain at this point. I mean, I'm I'm sort of going to oppose you for just a really tiny, tiny reason. And it's just because Jason Kidd, for all intents and purposes, was what we were whining. Of. He did things that we whined that we weren't going to get when we amnesty Chauncey Billups. And then because of that. Melo had his best year ever in the league. And because of that, we won 54 games and, you know, we're able to, you know, get into position to not just get in the playoffs, but also advance in the playoffs for the first time in a decade. So, yeah, I see. So for which, yeah. which, and I get the longevity because that was one of my things earlier in this little exercise, but just because that was the most important season that we've had 
in the last 15 years, I gave Kid the nod. Not necessarily because he was the best, but because he played a pretty good role in the offensive scheme that got us the season. The thing is, like, I... I think that I attribute less of that success to Jason Kidd than you do. I, I don't want to. I don't wanna make it sound like he's got the lion's share or even a significant portion of it. But it was just a perfect storm, in my opinion. Like everything kind of came through. Like the, the correct Woods th- had been there a little while at that point, where he was able to, you know, know what he could get from the players. Melo bought in for once. You had fucking Rashid spreading his magic on the team for thirty games or whatever it was. Like I, the correct answer is Courtney. It is, the but the correct answer has got to be Courtney. Lee. But but mostly, I just think it's closer, just because of the significance of that season. But when 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 Courtney Lee is finally traded off the team, we're gonna look back, and I, I think that the people who, you know, actual Knicks fans, I would say, like more more in depth Knicks fans, guys who have watched the team, you know, very uh, staunchly in the last couple of years as they've been losing and everything like that, like. Just to recognize the effort and the like, the never waning you know enthusiasm he had for hitting the court and everything, despite the losing record and everything. You never hear anything from you know Courtney Lee being upset about the team and the fact that he's in his thirties and he still has played as well as he has. Like he's been in the league forever and he's finally found a place to call home with the Knicks. And I think that you know he's not up against a lot of competition here, but man, I think he has outdone all of them. So no Tim Thomas love, huh? No Tim Thomas love for me, unfortunately. I, also, I actually really like Tim Hank Thomas. Walker. I liked him too. I liked him too because when I he first, I think he wore five his first time with the Knicks, and I remember as a eight or nine year old kid thinking it was cool that they had two Thomases on the team because it was him and Kurt Thomas. Yes, and I thought that was cool, and that was like all I remember about Tim Thomas. He also had some like just good years on some random teams. Like he played on Steve Nash's son's team, and he hit a. I think he hit like a huge shot in the playoffs, if I'm remembering correctly. But this one's tough. There's not a lot of great options. I, Lukewarm take. Kurt Thomas is the best Nick of all time. I mean, spot the lie. That game in Utah in 2013. The best Knicks game of the last 10 years. Best that time of my life. Really fun. <laughs> all right, let's move on. Number six. I don't want to spend time on this because it was Chris Stapps, 92%. Although it, I, it did make me remember how much I loved Tyson Chandler. Yeah, Tyson. I'm glad he came in at least, even if it's a distant second, I'm glad he got second. Yeah, I agree. What do you think? Like three people voted for him? Uh, he got six votes. Six votes. Okay. Yeah, so. Look at that. So let's let's talk about seven because this was the most overwhelming majority. Wow. No love for Al Harrington at all. No, no love for Al Harrington. I have an Al Harrington jersey, so I'm a little offended that not Other a single person voted for him. But was not, was that your first jersey? No, I had a Stephon Marbury jersey actually. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Carmelo you hold on Anthony. to that Al Harrington jersey. That's fucking crazy. I still wear it sometimes because I think it's funny and it's big, so it still fits me. I think my first I would overall you jersey. And hand if I saw you wearing that. <laughs> I think my first overall jersey. I had a a Statue of Liberty like youth small Rangers jersey with Eric Lindros on it. That was awesome. Oh, oh I love that, that that's a good jersey. Uh, so so number oh. seven for the Knicks though. Mello, ninety five percent of the vote. It's been almost. I don't want to get too far into this because we we only have a few minutes left and we got two numbers left, but it's been a little strange to see the the mellow slander on Twitter after one year. People forget how good he was for the Knicks. People often just he's the butt of a lot of jokes now because of his OKC campaign last year. And I I was always a big mellow fan. I know I, I like to make fun of our colleague Bailey Carlin a lot for for being a big mellow stand, but it's Stan. 
the the 2012 13 year is one of the best Knicks seasons in the history of the franchise. He did all that he could for New York, and I felt bad when he left. He signed the contract. I get it, but it's it's a little sad to see what his market has become, and some of it is self-inflicted because he's been unwilling to accept a certain role. I really hope he does better this year. So it's just been a little strange to see and I guess a little disheartening. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I'll say on it is um, we need to stop doing this ridiculous thing where we pretend he's not a first ballot hall of famer yeah i don't think anyone um, that, i don't think anyone smart thinks that way because it's the same thing with dwight howard like he's a clear first ballot hall of famer well, too well here but here's the thing is people weren't outright not saying it but they would say things like are we yeah sure? I, like like yeah I, yeah I could see him getting in like that's not like you, if yeah. you're if you're sort of being passive about yeah i guess he could get in like maybe he's in if, if you're, you're considering wrong. that or you're having the question like you're, you're wrong it's he's a lock and the thing is you know people you know me I, I bring up that the hall of fame standards aren't really wild for him to be a first ballot which is true i think even if they were stricter he'd still be first ballot like you're not going to he's going to end up being a top to 10 top 10 to 15 scorer of all time i did the math so let's say he plays all 82 games this year and he averages i think it was 15 points which is less than when he averaged last year in OKC he would be, I think, at 10 or just about. He would Basically, he needs 27 or 2,800 points to get into the top 10. So if he just averages 15 points for the next two years, he's basically in. So people have to really consider that. Like, If, if you're a top 10 scorer or contributor in a significant category like that in almost any sport, you're going to get in no matter what. So I think people are trying to do the trendy overthinking and you know really flesh out his flaws a little bit more than... Um, they need to be uh, the unnecessary comparisons to people in his draft class. Like the guy's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Just it's enough. Two, for it. and, and very, is he doesn't even suck. Like in terms of no, sucking, he, he, he's, he doesn't he's 35 suck. years old. He's entering his 16th year. Everybody sucks when they're 35 years old and you're 16. LeBron's an outlier. You can't use him. Wade's looked awful the last two years. Like this is just what happens to everybody. So trying to pretend that this is just mellow sucking is also ridiculous. So two really quick things I want to say. Uh, one, the mellow decline and like the battle of the mellow realists versus mellow stands. Uh, the one really really good outcome of this is how many young mellow videos have been floating around Twitter these days. Like that is a treat all in itself, and I'm really stoked to. I, I stop and watch them every single time. The only other thing I want to say about this is that I. I I didn't really vote for him because I knew my vote wasn't really going to matter in these responses, but I just gave uh, Kenny Walker uh, my click because shout-out to Kenny Skywalker. Another that's, dunk contest. That's I guess Corvo puts a lot a of stock in the dunk contest, huh? No, like, I, I know it's mellow, and I didn't really vote for him, but yeah, that's, no, such a, that's such a fucking Corvo vote. That's <laughs> such a Corvo <laughs> The... We'll move on to number eight, but the mellow left-handed pass in Denver to Nene is one of my favorite basketball highlights of all time. I was loving that, that comes back on the TL. I would, you know, you know what's really fun that I saw for the first time actually was the uh, the 2003 rookie game uh, and the beautiful mellow alley oop to LeBron. Yep, dude. Oh, that's unstoppable. That's, awesome. that's unbeatable. That, that mellow and um, that mellow to Nene pass is one of those plays that you know you have like that really tight highlight reel in your head of those plays that are just ingrained like you could actually see them over and over again yes no matter what perfectly clear recall they just come back into your brain 
that's one of them because that's one of those few plays that happen. And there's tons of amazing plays, but that's one of those amazing plays that has the exact perfect timing for everything that's happening. It, it was it rare, just... but it was rare. But anytime Nuggets Mellow uh, chose to pass was just in, insane. And with the beautiful. left hand, no less. And no, no less with the left hand. All right. Do we need to move on? Yeah, number nine. Let's, so let's, no, number eight. No, we're on eight. Oh, we're on eight. So let's Sorry. go through these oh, last buddy. two ones fairly quickly because I think eight has more of a debate than nine. But so yes. number eight, about seventy percent of the vote went wow. to Latrell Sprewell, and the other twenty-two percent went to J.R. Smith. So I'm curious. Let's start with you, Corbo. Who did you have? I um, I believe I went J.R. Smith. Okay. I Kyle? thought that J.R. Smith. Okay, no, go ahead, go ahead. Kyle, go first, and we'll debate. I really didn't want to answer this one. I, I'll be honest. I really simply did. I, I think know how hard this is for you. I, I'm, I'm, I chose Latrell. I did. Okay. But it was really difficult because for for I do this for Mellow too for that time period with the Knicks. But Jr. was very. I don't think he was better than Latrell, but he was very underappreciated for how important he was while he was in New York, and he had obviously as it comes back to for anyone who played during this time period, that 2012-13 year was really special. He was sixth man of the year. And not just sixth man, he was also just the second most important, important scorer on that team, which is why we didn't win the Denver, uh, not Denver, sorry, the Indiana series. So when uh, he, you know, he went cold. But right. I, I think Latrell was more important at that time. Obviously, he played on a finals team for the Knicks. But... um. Yeah, I think JR. I think JR is a little underappreciated. I understand why the poll is the way that it is. I, I think I thought that was going to be a little bit closer. I think JR had his best years of his career in New York. And again, this isn't really the question, but I, I don't necessarily know if Latrell had his best years in New York. It's hard to tell. He was kind of, you know, he he didn't necessarily he didn't play poorly. And again, he made it to the finals, and and he had to team up with Allen Houston, who played a very similar role to him. Um. But as far as like, you know, the reason I think I gave it to Jr. was because his I know they both have bombastic personalities, so that kind of takes it out of the question. But the how badly new the New York Knicks needed revitalization when Jr. came around was kind of what sent it over, and just the fact that he was able to win Sixth Man of the Year and he was able to play the best basketball of his career, uh, you know, in New York and everything, and like just the way he came in like a spark plug and the whole. You know, Jr. and Novak combo and everything like that. Like, it just set the city on fire, man. And like, yeah, Latrell played in the you know the '99 Finals and everything, but everything after that with his career with the Knicks just went downhill from there. So I know that Jr. You know, has always been controversial in his career, and he's certainly not playing good basketball now. But for the years that he was here, like, the, again, he's another guy whose one play is never going to get out of my mind. And it's the uh, the double alley oop thing he did with Shumpert that one time. That was cool. That was beautiful. Spree's the answer, but I like the JR angle too. I think that JR had some great moments. I went to game two when they played the Celtics in the 2013 playoffs, and this was the game where they gave JR his sixth man of the year award. It was louder when he got that than it was during any moment in the entire game, besides JR hitting the half court three at the end of the first quarter, and the garden just went ballistic. But when he was good, that year was he was damn good but even so he averaged 18 and a half points spree averaged that basically for his entire Knicks career which spanned a bit longer and he was mm-hmm. on more successful teams spree's the answer yep. but i think Spree's jr is is not 
a bad answer at all, and I think we kind of can forget sometimes. And got to remember too, having Jr. on the Knicks was just so funny at times. The, the he gets oh, to the was. Knicks, the first thing he does is tweet a picture of a a bare naked ass. Terry. <laughs> so. It was both of these guys, as Corbo mentioned, bombastic personalities to be sure, and they they brought a lot to the table beyond the court. It was it was the Beasley of 2012, 13. If Beasley was and a significant contributor, number eight, man, like every one of these, guys. every every Actually, one of these guys. Let me talk. Let's talk real quick. Uh, we'll move on, right? But I'm just kind of appalled that Gallinari got this little uh, amount of love from everybody. It, it was just too short. Yeah, it was too. I he know. was there. He was there. What two and a half? Years drafted him. Yeah. away. he left 2010. Yeah, so I mean, he was two and a half years. And he was electric, man. I mean, he was electric, but he was inconsistent. He would give us these flashes. And young, of, just and, young. and young, and then he was injured. I mean, it's it just didn't. And I and you guys know I'm a Gallo stan. I love Gallo. I, I wish nothing more in that uh, metal trade that they couldn't. They should have kept one of Wilson Chandler, Danilo Gallinari. Both of them yep. leaving was a travesty. Um, but yeah, I mean, I always. I've 2010 really, was just such a fun year. It just stinks. Like yeah. God, fucking like October of 2012 to like January of 2011 was just one of the best, you know, couple of month spans of my life. All right, let's move on to our final number in this week's series, and that's number nine. This one was funny too because you have a Carbron type in Richie Guerin who is clearly, obviously, the answer. But yes, but. People yeah. voted. Forty-two percent of the total vote went to Pablo Prigioni, and twenty-nine percent went to Kyle O'Quinn. With Richie Guerin getting nineteen, so you split this one up a bit. Who did you guys have? Pablo. I, th- I thought Kyle was the actual better player, um, but oh, I was, thought he was obviously better than Prigioni. Prigioni he, had some trademarks like, like his trademark steal, and he we liked rooting for him. But Kyle O'Quinn was much better as a yeah, Nick. Pablo has just kind of become the the cult hero. Like when we think back yeah. at those fun teams, it was yes. just like. You know, everybody goes nuts for Pablo. His stats are, like, this. remarkably low. Like, he averaged, like, three points a game. Yeah, he didn't. He, yes. he, would, he, would, <laughs> he, like, he averaged, like, three and three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, yeah, one three, get a couple sneaky steals, a couple of dimes, and he'd call it a day. But I think the thing that happened with Pablo, and it kind of speaks to the uh, the Jason Kidd thing, like, he Pablo came in the year after Kidd did, right? After they played Kidd together. retired? They played together. No, they, it was the same they, year. Yep. It was the same year? 2012, and, I, and then Pablo played with the Knicks the following year, too. Right, so I think when Pablo finally got that, you know, that larger opportunity when Kid flamed out, like that was just. I, I think that we really kind of, you know, because everyone was so pissed at Jason Kidd at that time too for going to coach the Nets and everything like that, uh, and they were like worried about collusion. That like Pablo comes in, just plays his game, gets his three points and three assists. Like you know, always seems to be on you know the passing side of a highlight play, and I think that. You know, New York Knicks fans really ended up bonding around him. And for whatever reason, maybe it's the fact that he didn't really, uh, you know, he didn't tweet in English. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that there was no way for him to be unloved by the the uh, Knicks fans. A lovable player through and through. Just through and through. Those, and he defined those teams a lot, too. The veteran laden 2012-13 Knicks team that had the Jason Kids and the Prigionis. He's just beloved by Knicks fans. Like you, I saw, I think Chris Herring posted a Pablo highlight the other day, and people were just like, God, I love this guy. You know, he was the best. His steals were awesome. The inbounds passes. I've, I still have not seen anyone do what he did on those because players just simply don't care enough to go and put in the effort to defend an inbounder like he did, which is awesome. He was so smart. Like, he just played really smart until it came time for him to shoot an open three. Yep. 
All right, so let's go down the list and then we'll close it up here. So yep. the listener responses, zero, Larry Hughes. Number one, yep. Amari Stoudemire. Number two, Larry Johnson. Number three, John Starks. Number four, Nate Robinson. Number five, Jason Kidd. Number six, Chris Stapps Porzingis. Number seven, Carmelo Anthony. Number eight, Latrosse Sprewell. And number nine, Pablo Prigioni. So that's I zero take, through nine. I take great exception to less of these than I thought I was going to. Yes. There's some that are definitely consensus picks, and that's going to happen anytime you have an abbreviated roster like they do in the NBA. But Especially with like these early numbers, too. Exactly. Like We're going to get to a point where we're not going to have too many to pick from. Right. All right, so next week, listen up. We'll do 10 through 19 when we come back. So we'll run out the Google Forms next week. Thanks again to everyone that responded. Keep an eye out. We'll be running a bunch more stuff. We got plenty to do through the summer, even when there's not a lot of Knicks basketball going on, not a lot of roster stuff to talk about. We're still going to be here shooting your ear off about the Knicks. So, guys, until next week, Kyle Corbo, talk to you guys later. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.